The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We are here tonight to study in the word of God. We are studying in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And we just recently on Sunday morning, we wrapped up the translation work that we were doing verse by verse through verses 16 through 26 of Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to go back and review what that translation looks like. And then we will dive into our principles. Uh, Next Wednesday night, uh, I will not be here, so we will be doing a review of the commandments again. We'll be on the next of the lessons from commandments on Wednesday night. Still have a prayer meeting. If one of you is willing to lead the prayer meeting for me on my behalf, we'll still have a prayer meeting and then have commandments uh, uh, from the, uh, the classes I taught a few years back. We'll have the next lesson on commandments. But tonight, we're in Galatians chapter 5, so before we dive into our principles related to verses 16 through 26, let's take a moment for silent prayer to prepare our hearts for the study of the Word of God, confessing sins if necessary, but also, very importantly, uh, yielding ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we might be able to understand what we hear and humbling ourselves so that we might be teachable, shall we pray. Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to gather here at the church tonight. I thank you for the prayer meeting that we just had and the group that we had gathered back there to lift up our our concerns, our praises, everything. You desire that we just open up our hearts and talk to you, and I thank you for the way we were able to have so many prayer requests lifted up before you today in the prayer meeting. We ask that you answer those prayers in in a perfect way according to your will. Tonight, as we study your word, we have this opportunity to study your word, we ask that you would help each and every one of us to focus our attention on what it is that your word is teaching us, that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right, before we jump into the principles, let's look at our translation. And this is how it looks. Uh, Now I say, walk by means of the Spirit, and you will definitely not carry out the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. For these are enemies of one another, with the result that you may not do the things that you want to do. But since you're being led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the products of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, moral impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, heresies, envying, drunken sprees, excessive partying, and things like these, of which I tell you in advance, just as I have previously warned you, that those who consistently engage in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that prohibits such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and lusts. Since we are spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become arrogant, provoking one another, envying one another. That's our translation. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Drink water here, sorry. 
So, you notice the title that I have for this section is Bearing Spiritual Fruit. Part of the reason I didn't want to break it down into separate sections and left it all as one big section is because really that's what this whole thing is about, about bearing fruit. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Sorry about that. Fruit of the Spirit. So that's why we kept it as one big section. And we've got principles here. At the very moment of salvation, every born-again believer is given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you have to wait for. Romans 8, 9 says, However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what that's saying, what he's saying is, and by the way, the Spirit of Christ is just another name for the Holy Spirit, right? So what we have here is what he's saying is, it's like we have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. I'm sorry about that. But what he's saying here in this last sentence, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't, then you're not actually a born-again believer. That's basically what he's saying. So the idea that some churches will put forth that the Spirit comes to you after your salvation, some event happens and you receive the Holy Spirit at some point after your salvation, is not biblical. We see one passage here in Romans that makes that clear. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, this is particularly important because this is in 1 Corinthians. Who is he talking to in 1 Corinthians? He's talking to the believers at the church of Corinth, but this is a, belief, this is a church that has issues. These, this is a church that has schisms. This is a church that has problems. It's, we're not talking about the perfect church with all absolutely perfect saints. We're talking a bunch of people who have problems, and he's telling all of the believers in that church, do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Again, addressing all the believers. He doesn't say, he doesn't go on to say, don't you know that the, you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That is, if, if you've actually had that post-salvation moment where... Now, he doesn't say that. He's saying to all the believers this, that you're a temple of, of God and the Spirit dwells in you. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now, he who establishes us with you is Christ and anointed us as God. That's Jesus Christ and God the Father, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now, that's something. The idea of a pledge is something that's been given to every believer. And what the pledge is about is we've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge of all the things that we have to look forward to. All of them. Uh, our resurrection body, uh, the inheritance, right? One of the things that we need to understand in the Word of God, there are things that are specified that every believer will have in eternity future, right? The, the inheritance that all believers will have. Then there's rewards, which is another discussion, right? Because rewards, some believers will have rewards in one kind and another kind and so on. And we know the First Corinthians uh, the first Corinthians believer had nothing, right? Everything burned up at the, at the Bema seat. He had nothing left, so he had no rewards, the one that's described there in 1 Corinthians 3. The point being, the Holy Spirit is given to every believer as a pledge of what they have to look forward to that God has promised to all believers. So there's not any notion of some believers having and some believers not. Ephesians 1 13 and 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of, tr- of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, right? That well, all the, the only condition that's given in here is that you heard the gospel and you believed. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, you could look at the, the rest of that verse, the redemption of God's own possession, in a lot of different ways. But in my mind, what we're really talking about here is actually the entire church, right? The entire church is going to be uh, going to be taken care of in terms of all the promises for the church, all the, the resurrection body that all of us are going to have. When we're taken up with Christ at the rapture, we're going to all be in our resurrection bodies. And we're going to all go up to be with him. 
And so that's all part of the that's part all part of the pledge and all part of what's been promised. So every believer, so don't, if anybody comes up and talks to you and says that this idea that you know no some believers don't have the Holy Spirit, make sure you re, make sure you reference the Bible because it says otherwise. This grace blessing for believers in the current dispensation of the church was not given to Old Testament saints. This is very important to understand the dispensational distinctions. 1 Samuel 6.14, it says here, 16.14, excuse me. Oh, sorry about that. Didn't mean for that to pop up on the screen. 1 Samuel 16.14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And we know Saul, I mean, as bad a king as Saul was, Saul was a believer. But he was a disaster, obviously, as a king, but he was a believer. And it says the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And then look what happened. An evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. The idea, because he did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he could be possessed by an evil spirit. So Saul himself uh, did not did not have that blessing that we have today, because he was born in the Old Testament context of Israel. In Psalm fifty-one eleven, it says, uh, David says here, "Do not cast away from me, excuse me, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me." Now we don't have to pray that prayer. You don't have to pray that. You don't have to ask that today. God has already promised that you will have the Holy Spirit and it's a permanent indwelling. Right? He's been given to us as a pledge. That's not going to be taken away. Now, so you don't need to pray this prayer. That was something David needed to be concerned about. Now, it turns out what's interesting about it is David was someone who, by and large, throughout his entire life, had... The endowment, if you want to call it that, the endowment of the Spirit in his life. He, w- he was one who was close to God, even with all his mistakes, all his knucklehead mistakes that he made. He was still very close to God, and the Holy Spirit was with him most of, the, most of his life. But he had to be concerned that the Holy Spirit could be taken away from him, but we don't have to be concerned about that today. At the moment of salvation, we were also made spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, Titus 3.5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. By the way, that language of regeneration, also the language elsewhere of, uh, I think the King James actually does a good job. It's translated in our New American Standard as being made alive. But I actually like the King James, a quickening language of a quickening. And so that language of regeneration and the language of quickening, I believe that's what I use as my basis for believing that fallen humanity is born with a living body, a living soul, and a dead human spirit. And then that human spirit that's dead is made alive. It's regenerated. It's made alive. And it's not that we don't have a, a, a human spirit. We do have a human spirit. It's just dead. And it's not functioning, right? It's not, it's not alive. And then at the moment of salvation, we're made alive. We're regenerated. And then it goes on in verse 6, Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. Given that, it follows that we should live our lives by means of the Spirit, right? That's a, an important uh, concept. I mean, really, when you think about Colossians 2.6, it's one of my favorite uh, favorite. Uh, Verses in Colossians, uh, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, live out your life abiding in him. Right. So (coughs) again, how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By grace through faith. So we live out our lives abiding in him by grace through faith. We were given the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation. So since one of the things God did for us was to give us the Holy Spirit, don't you think he had a reason for doing that? Yeah. Yeah that we would live by means of the Spirit. In fact, one of the things that we had as far as an interesting conversation, I'm still chewing on it. I actually talked to um, Pastor Bob about this yesterday when we had lunch, our monthly lunch. One of the things that Dan Hill emphasized, because we had, we had some wonderful fellowship with them for a couple of days, um, and we even got to act like tourists in our own hometown, which was kind of interesting. Um, but... He mentioned the idea that we talk about this verse, right? We, we were saved by grace through faith, and we live by grace through faith. We, we live by grace through faith. We abide in Christ, and we function in our Christian lives by grace through faith. And he pointed out that Christ 
if you want to, if you want to have some delineation between members of the Godhead, which the scriptures do, right? The scriptures do that. The by grace through faith of our salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Obviously, that faith also is in God the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? But we focus that on Christ, right? That we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us, right? We place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And he pointed out that when we talk about sanctification, right, our daily walk, which member of the Godhead was given for our sanctification? The Holy Spirit. So actually, when we talk about by grace through faith, we really should be talking about it in terms of, if, again, if we're going to delineate, that we should be focusing our faith in the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who's been given for our sanctification. Does that make sense? In other words, I trust the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say when I need. I trust the Holy Spirit to help me understand the things of the Word of God. <coughs> Pardon me. I trust the Holy Spirit <coughs> to protect me from evil spirits. I trust the Holy Spirit to guide me. I trust the Holy Spirit who gave me spiritual giftedness. I trust the Holy Spirit to help me know how to use those gifts. So on and so forth. In other words, I have constant, in my spiritual walk, I have constant trust in God the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So I'm chewing on it still some more. <coughs> but again, at every point, it doesn't matter what the situation is, at every point, when we put our trust in Jesus, it's implicit that we're also trusting in the Father and the Spirit, right? So when I say this, the idea that when I put my trust in the Holy Spirit, when my faith is directed toward the Holy Spirit, while I'm doing that, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. You see what I'm saying? In other words, I'm not excluding Jesus and I'm not excluding the Father. We looked at the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. It talks about how the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts Jesus Christ provides the ministries and the Father produces the effects. So all three members of Trinity are in view. So I'm not trying to suggest that that's not the case. What I'm saying is, but if you think about it, God specifically, Jesus even talked about it, that when I'm gone, the helper will come and he will help you understand these things and he will bring to mind the things that I've said to you and all these things, right? So for our sanctification today, God, the Holy Spirit, is actually where our focus should be because he's the one who God gave us for our sanctification. When we live our lives by means of the Spirit, we absolutely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. That's the very first verse we read. When we live our lives by means of the Spirit, we absolutely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. So what this says is if you fall into sin, and actually you could actually... You could draw out a picture of it. Maybe I will. Maybe that's something I'll work on is drawing out a picture of this. But what you have to first do is take your eyes off of Christ. Remember, we talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus. You got to take your eyes off of Christ. You got to stop yielding to the Holy Spirit and walking by means of the Spirit. Now, you haven't you, at this point, I would say you haven't necessarily fallen into sin yet. Right. You've allowed yourself to to be distracted from the proper focus of your Christian walk. Now what that means is you're now exposed and you're vulnerable. So when sin, when the, the lusts of the flesh tempt us, when Satan, who's, you know, he's prowling around like a lion seeking to devour, right? When Satan and his minions then bring things to our, our uh, periphery so that we're tempted by those things and so on, when those things happen... We're no longer fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're no longer walking by means of the Spirit. So now we're exposed. Now we're vulnerable. And so it's a process, actually. When you fall into sin, it actually happens through a process. You know, if, you, if you're, for instance, if you're driving down the road, I would dare say, I would, I would dare say, if you're driving down the road, you're thinking about Jesus, Maybe you're even singing our hymn of the month from last month. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe if you're doing that, I dare say that if somebody cuts you off, you're probably not going to yell a curse word at them. Because your thoughts are with God, right? You're focused on Christ. You're focused on your, your spiritual life. When you're driving down the road, and I'm guilty, by the way, I'm not saying I don't do this. When you're driving down the road and something happens and all of a sudden you get angry, it's because you, your mind was not in the right place already. You were already susceptible because you weren't focusing on God. I hope that makes sense to you because Galatians 5.26, 
I mean, 516 is extremely clear. It says, walk by means of the Spirit, and you definitely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. This is one of the many grace provisions God has given to allow us to main fellowship with him. Here's a list of these things. First of all, confession of sin. That's pretty important, right? Because if you do allow yourself to fall into sin, we need to get back. We need to be restored to fellowship. So we're going to look at the psalm passage first in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Have you ever noticed that? We're talking about, have you ever noticed when you're in prolonged carnality that you just get to a miserable place? I mean a miserable place. You know, it can even affect you physically. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Now that, in my opinion, is the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? God's hand is heavy on you. The Holy Spirit's trying to convict you. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. In other words, he's, he's literally talking about how he just feels awful because he continued to hide his sin from God. Now, which Clearly, if he's trying to hide it from him, he's not confessing, right? Now, when we get to verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and in my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, he doesn't go on to say all of these things then were lifted away, but but his point was, while I was hiding my sin, this is how it was. So then once he got to verse 5 and he acknowledges all of this, then then that heavy hand of God is gone, right? We're not under the heavy hand of the Lord anymore because he got the desired result. Remember, that is all about restoration of fellowship. God, when he brings those things on us, he's not trying to punish us. He's trying to get us to, to go the right direction, right? It's corrective in nature. He's trying to correct our path, get us to repent, if you will, change our minds, the true meaning of repentance, metanoia, to change our minds and, and confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pretty powerful right there. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty important provision he's given us. In verse 14 of Romans chapter 13 it says but instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not fantasize about the sins of the flesh so as to arouse lusts and that actually in the New American Standard was do not make a make any provision for your lusts let's let's actually go look at it in uh, the NASB make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts so put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. When we looked at the actual Greek that was behind that, we saw, sorry about that, when we, when we looked at that, we actually saw that what it was saying is that what, you, what it's talking about is you allowing yourself to begin to think about your sins. Right? What's going on is like, for instance, let's say a temptation comes your way. And remember, temptation itself is not sin. It's when we give in to the temptation that it becomes sin. Well, let's say a temptation comes your way and all of a sudden now you're going through a thought process about how you think all right, well, if, if I actually do this, you know, I can probably get away with it if I do X, Y, and Z, right? You start fantasizing about it, whatever this is going on in your thinking, you're already in danger, right? That's why he gives this warning in Romans. He's like, don't even think about that. Don't even go down that path, right? If you allow yourself to go down that path, you're, you're already in trouble, right? You're already in trouble. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Laying aside of the old self. We all know about this, but this is so important, right? Ephesians 4.22, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. That's the old sin nature, which is, no, I, lo I love what it says here in the rest of this verse. It's very important. It says, which is being corrupted. That's a current activity that's happening in all of us. Being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. So what happens is the sin nature, as you as you as you give in to sin, your own sin nature actually becomes corrupted. And it becomes worse, right? It becomes even worse. And I believe that is the process by which what we see is that if you look around the room right here, you will see all sorts of different sin natures, right? All of us come from the original Adam, right? All of us have a sin nature that comes from Adam. And if you think about it this way, if you want to, 
we all have a sin nature that comes from Noah. Right? Because all of us are descendants of Noah. Well, we, the sin nature over the course of time has morphed. And there's different, there's different aspects to the sin nature. You may have a weakness in one area that I don't have. But I've got a weakness in a different area. Well, I believe that has come through the process of the corrupting of the sin nature in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And then in verse 23, it says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we have this choice now. We have this choice now. So we need to lay aside that old self. And it goes back to that stupid analogy. I'm using the keyboard now uh, rather than a copy machine. But this keyboard over here, it's just, this keyboard is nothing but a big gigantic paperweight. Right, as long as it as long as it's not doesn't have power on it, uh, so and that's basically what happened when we became believers. Our our sin nature was crucified with Christ, and it's been turned into something that can't really do much of anything, right? But I can I as a believer, I can walk over, and I can flip on the old power switch, and now all of a sudden, I got to maybe turn this on. Now, all of a sudden, why, there we go. Right, so now it makes noise. Now it makes music. Uh, and the whole point of it is that's, the, that's basically the situation with our sin nature. It's been rendered powerless. It's been rendered where you, you know, we can't really do anything to us. However, if we want to, we can enable it. And that's, what, that's why these exhortations like this are so important. We need to lay aside that old self, put on the new self. That's a very important part of the process. These are all provisions from God that we might be able to do these things. Uh, because we didn't have that luxury as an unbeliever. But we do now. Colossians 3, 8, and 9. But now you also put all these things aside. Anger, rage, meanness, slander, filthy words from your mouth. Stop lying to one another since you stripped off your old sin nature with its sinful activities and have put on your new nature, which is being renewed to full knowledge in conformity with the image of the one who created your new nature. It goes on from there. In Christ, there is no Gentile and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, and so on. He goes on to say that Christ is everything and in all believers. That's actually, by the way, the indwelling of Christ himself. Uh, but what we, we see here is stop doing all these things because we've stripped off that old nature. We've pitched it to the side, and have put on the new nature. And that new nature is being renewed to a full knowledge and conformity with the image of the one who created it. That's a provision from God that we have the ability to do that. The renewing of the mind. Now, that's very important because what that tells us, by the way, first and foremost, is that our mind needed to be renewed, right? In other words... We, even though, even this is the interesting thing, even though as fallen creation, God gave us a conscience, right? We have a conscience and that conscience can be something of a guide in terms of what is right and wrong. But the problem is we don't know how to think right. That's what it really comes down to as fallen creatures. We don't know how to think right. We come to the wrong conclusions, we make the wrong assessments. I've told you before that before I was saved, there were certain things that I thought were bad. And after I got saved, I realized they were good. And there were certain things that I thought were good. And after I got saved, I realized they were bad. I didn't know how to think right. I couldn't make assessments. I couldn't determine between right and wrong as I should be able to. So what we have is a renewing of the mind that's necessary. This is Ephesians 4.23. It says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right? We just read that verse just a moment ago, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Also, in Romans 12:2, it says, Stop being conformed to this age, but be transformed, very important language, transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God, notice what it then says, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, we can be those that demonstrate the will of God, the righteousness of God. We can demonstrate what is actually good. But in order for us to be able to do that, there needs to be a transformation. And that requires the renewing of our minds. 
I hope that you had in your own spiritual life that you look at yourself now and you realize, wow, I, I see things from a perspective that's different than what I did before. My worldview is not the same as what it used to be. My assessment of the circumstances that I find myself in, all of that has changed because of the renewing of the mind, because God has changed my ability to think about things, my ability to understand things, and it all has come from the truth of his word as the Holy Spirit has helped me learn those things, right? His word has taught me. One of the things that's so important in that, and I'm still learning this, by the way, one of the things the Bible has taught me about is the creator-creature distinction. I'm just a creature. That's all I am. He's God. He's the creator. In other words, the more I study the word of, the God, word of God, the more it puts me in my place. Right? The more it puts me in my place. That's what I need. I need that to keep me humble because God is the one who's able to make me understand things. He's the one who makes it possible for, for me to prove what his will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I can't do that on my own. Only God can bring that about in me. Only he can through the transformation that happens through the renewing of the mind. Question? No. Okay. But that's very important. These are, again, these are all provisions. We already saw the putting on of the new self, right? We already read that in the previous one, so I don't need to turn there. But not only do we lay aside the old self, we put on the new self. Now, what's important about that, just in a similar way to putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, is we're basically wearing those things, if you will. That's, that is what we're putting on. That's what, we, that's what we're presenting is the new self. We're presenting Christ. We're actually, and in one, another way you can think of it is I, as I put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as I put on the new self, I'm basically at that point, Ephesians chapter 6, wearing the armor of God, aren't I? I've put on Christ. I've put on the new self. I now am wearing the armor of God. And don't think for a minute we don't need that because we need it every day. What about receiving the word implanted? Is that important? I think it is. James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, remember when you read this, James is writing this to the brethren, to believers. So when he says this, he's telling us as believers, put all the filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In other words, all of us come into the, come into the spiritual life with baggage, right? How much baggage do you, do you bring into it? How much baggage is still there? All of us still have baggage from when we were unbelievers. I was saved when I was 17. My goodness, it's pretty, before you know it, it's going to be 50 years ago that I was saved. But I still have baggage. Right? We're supposed to put all that aside. We're put a, to put a, you know, we talk about laying aside the old self. Let's put aside all the baggage that we came in, all the filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted. That's for believers to receive the word implanted, which is able to save my souls. Now, wait a minute. If I'm a believer, why do I need my soul to be saved? Because I live in this lost and dying world, don't I? And every single day I need to be saved from the very power of sin. Not only the power of sin in my own life, but the power of sin all around me. We live in the presence of sin, right? We do. We live in a, in a, in a dark, dark world. And so this salvation is not the eternal salvation. That means I'm going to be in heaven with God for all of eternity. This is a salvation that I get day by day. I remember Hugh Crowder, when he was up here preaching one time behind this pulpit, which, by the way, keep him in prayer. He's having some health issues. But Hugh Crowder... Uh, when he was up here behind this pulpit, he said, you know, I got saved in such and such a time. I can't remember what he said, what, when it was. He said, I got saved in such, a time, such and such a time. And he says, and I get saved every single day. And what he meant by that is this verse. Every single day, God protects us, right? He protects us from the evil that we find ourselves uh, in the midst of. And the evil that's within, right? The sin nature that's within us. We can lay aside sin and encumbrances. This is very important in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Fame of Faith. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So 
is very important to and there because these are two different things. There's sin. That's a problem, right? Don't you, don't you reckon sin is a problem in our spiritual walk? <laughs> I mean, well, I forgot. There's a few of you that are perfect and you don't have that problem. But uh, I still struggle with sin. Uh, I'm joking. Obviously, we all do. Uh, but so sin's a problem, but there's also encumbrances that are not even sin. They're not sinful. They're just encumbrances. So what that means is there could be an aspect of your life that is not a sinful thing that you are participating in, whatever it is, but it actually is an encumbrance to your spiritual life. Now, let me, let me, think, let me walk you through some, some things that you can think of in, the, in terms of this. Let's say... Let's say that, that you know, we have, a, we have a, a, a decent crowd here on Wednesday night, but there's people that, that come on Sunday morning that they're not here right now. Let's say they have something that's part of their weekly life that prevents them from coming on Wednesday night. Now, that could be an encumbrance to their spiritual walk because they aren't here hearing the things of the Word of God. How many of those people go online and listen to the message? How many do we have listening right now? Live, online. They can't be here. There is, there's a barrier that prevents them from being here. But they're still growing in the faith. There's other things, though, that we allow to happen in our lives that actually pull us away from the Lord. It's not a sin in and of itself. In other words, what we're doing is not a sinful activity. But it pulls us away from the Lord. And so you have to make your own assessment on that. I can't do it for you. You have to look at your own life and say, no, you know what? This is not a sin, but it's an encumbrance. And this verse says that you're supposed to lay that aside. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And then it says, and let us run with endurance the dream that we had when we were a child. It's not what it says, does it? It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And again, you can look at this two ways. I prefer to look at it this way, that God has a plan for me. He has a race. He has something he wants me to do. And so I need to kind of find out what that is. And I need to want run whatever that race is, right? The, the race that's been set before me. That's actually a pretty cool thing. I told, I've told you all this more than once. One of the neatest things for me as a baby believer was finding out that God had a plan for my life. Because as far as I could tell, looking around my life, it was like, this is, I don't even, this is, I'm not even sure what I'm doing or why I'm here. You know, I didn't have, as an unbeliever, I'm talking about. I mean, what is the point of all of this? And then I came to find out God had a plan for me. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So this idea of a race that's been set before us is a pretty cool thing. However, it means you have to yield to that. You have to submit to the will of God and say, okay, I want to do the race that you have for me. And if he calls you to a ministry, you have to say, okay, that's the ministry God wants me to do. And you have to say that that's where you're going to focus your attention and your thing, your life is toward what it is that God has for you. And then we get to the verse that I quoted earlier, Hebrews 12, 2, that says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that part of that verse, it just gets me every time I read it. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> there was joy, even though there was concern right in the we know he said to the father if it's possible take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done but yet there was still joy and that's what i just read fixing our eyes on jesus that's very important too right we talk about walking by means of the spirit fix your eyes on jesus the one who the one who died for you and as we just talked about walking by means of the spirit all of these are provisions that have been made been made by God so that we can maintain fellowship with him. All of these things that are, are provisions that have been given us so that we can progress in our spiritual life. Because God doesn't want us to just kind of float along. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to grow in respect to salvation, right? We're not supposed to stay where we were when we got saved. We're supposed to continue to grow. And finally, Putting spiritual qualities into use. 
This is an interesting passage that we saw in Second Peter. Through these things, he, that is God, has freely given to us his precious and exceedingly magnificent promises so that by means of them you may part, become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the moral decay that is in the world by lust. Now we're going to go all the way through verse 10, so stay with me on this. Now for this very reason also, having applied all diligence in your faith, provide for excellence of character, and in your excellence of character, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, patient endurance, and in your patient endurance, reverent conduct, that's godliness, and in your reverent conduct, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, sacrificial love. For these qualities, this is very important, verse 8 through 10 here. For these qualities truly existing and abounding in you cause you to be neither idle nor unproductive in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that there's two ways you can fail. One of them is not productive and the other one is you can be idle. So in one case, you're just you're simply doing nothing. That's being idle, right? You're simply doing nothing. The other one is you're not doing nothing, but what you're doing is unproductive. And that's why I have such concerns about the churches where what they'll do is somebody, they'll have people who come in there that are baby believers, and they rush them into ministry. Well, that, I think, is a mistake. I think you've got to prepare them for ministry, and then when they're prepared and ready, you, you send them into ministry because they can get busy as bees. They can be all kinds of busy, but they can be unproductive. They're not actually producing anything for the Lord. Notice what it says, in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's epinosis, right? Whenever you see it translated as full knowledge like that, that's epinosis. And that's what we want to have is full knowledge of him. Verse 9, <clears throat> this, again, these last two verses are very important. For, these, for he who does not have these qualities at his disposal is spiritually blind, nearsighted, having forgotten the cleansing of his past sins. And that's why I say this verse tells me that we should always, always go back to the cross. Always. Don't ever forget what God did for you at the cross. Don't ever forget that. Always remember what he did in the cleansing of our sins. Verse 10, For this reason, brethren, apply an even more diligent effort to make your calling and choosing have an abiding effect because while you're putting these qualities, and that's what we were looking at up here, remember the self-control, reverent conduct, brotherly kindness, sacrificial love, while, we put, while you are putting these qualities into use, you will definitely never stumble into sin. Doesn't that kind of sound a little bit like what Galatians 5.16 says? Walk by means of the Spirit and you will not, definitely will not. Well, this is the same idea. You will definitely never stumble into sin. So what he's saying is if you are actively bearing forth these qualities, and what are those qualities, by the way? Where, where do they come from? God the Holy Spirit, right? God the Holy Spirit is manifesting in us all of those things. Let's go back through that list real quick. All of these things come from God. Applied all diligence in your faith. Provide for excellence of character. Where does our excellence of character come from? I don't have excellence of character apart from God. Any excellence of my character comes from Him. And in your excellence of character, knowledge. Now, this is base knowledge here. In your knowledge, self-control. Again, self-control. If, if I try to have self-control based on the energy of the flesh, that's not going to succeed. Self-control comes from the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And in your self-control, patient endurance. I am not a patient human being apart from God. And by the way, patient endurance is the idea that you're being patient in the midst of difficulties. In your patient endurance, reverent conduct. And again, reverent conduct. Godliness. That's fruit of the Spirit stuff. That's what we're talking about, fruit of the Spirit. Reverent conduct. And in your reverent conduct, brotherly kindness... It's really the same word for, you know, brotherly love kind of thing. Brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, sacrificial love. Again, all of these qualities come from God. So if you are, if you are exhibiting all of these qualities, 
You're walking by means of the Spirit. Those two go hand in hand, right? In other words, even though this highlights the different qualities, it's really the equivalent passage to Galatians 5.16. Because to do this, you have to walk by means of the Spirit. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? They go hand in hand. I have to walk by means of the Spirit to, to exhibit these qualities. And if I do, I will not stumble into sin. We're almost at the end of our time here. Let's see. We need to understand that something not good, the sin nature, dwells within our flesh. You almost had to know we were going to turn to Romans 7 after reading those verses, right? We have to understand this. This is important. Believers need to understand that there is something not good, that's the sin nature, which dwells within our very flesh. He says here, in, uh, Paul says in Romans 7:18, For I know very well that something not good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire is present in me, but the accomplishing of the good is not. And he goes on from there. If you read the rest of this, he goes on from there to talk about how that battle takes place. Romans 7 is a very important chapter in that regard. When we live according to the flesh, we cannot please God in anything that we do. If you're walking by means of the flesh, remember the flesh has desires that are not in accordance with the spirit. and The spirit has desires that are not in accordance with the flesh. So if we're walking by means of the flesh rather than walking by means of the Spirit, what are we doing? We're giving in to the desires which are antithetical, right? They're antithetical, excuse me, to what it is that the Spirit would have us to do. So we're working against the Spirit at that point. In verse uh, 5 of chapter 8 of Romans, it says, For those who are living in accordance with the flesh are focusing on the things of the flesh, but those who are living in accordance with the Spirit are focusing on the things of the Spirit. For the mind focusing on the flesh is death, but the mind focusing on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind focusing on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you have to decide who are you going to serve. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to be yielding to God the Holy Spirit and serving God through the Holy Spirit, which dwells in us, are you going to yield to the flesh and serve the flesh? You have the choice. That's what Romans 7 is all about. And he goes on here in Romans 8 to talk about the choice that we have. And if we're walking by means of the flesh, we can't please God. We can't do it at all. And that, this concept applies to believers. I will show one more point and we'll stop right here and we'll come back on uh, not this Sunday morning and not Wednesday either, on the following Sunday morning. And we will have this, uh, we'll go back to this on Sunday the 18th, prior to our annual business meeting. Therefore, it is critical to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Now, this is important too, by the way. All these things are subtly different. You notice the subtle differences here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from flesh, fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Now, what I want you to understand about this is that means when we give in to the lusts, right? They're waging war against our soul. When we give in to our lusts, we can actually damage our souls, and that's why when I put the picture of the soul up, and we'll do that, by the way, we won't do it tonight, but we'll do that when we come back to this uh, Sunday the 18th. I'll put the picture of the soul up there, and you will see in my picture of the soul, we have this thing, the scar tissue of the soul. See, as we give in to the sins of the flesh, right, the lusts of the flesh, as we give in to those lusts and commit sin, we create damage in our own souls. And if we allow ourselves to go deep into carnality, extended periods of carnality, we can create damage that actually takes some time to heal. It's just like bodily injury. The worse the bodily injury, the longer it takes to heal, right? So if you allow yourself to do extensive damage to your soul in the process of indulging the sins of the flesh, it can take a while to recover from those things. So the scar tissue of the soul is an important thing to remember. Now, we all I believe I came into my own Christian life with some scar tissue that God has been working on since I was 17 years old, right? He's been working on some of that scar tissue since I was 17. 
But I certainly don't want to add to it. I mean, if God's in the business of healing me from the scars of my, in, in my soul, what a fool I would be to add to it. I've got to let him do what he's doing and help him, allow him to help me uh, get past all the things that I have in my soul. We're going to stop right there. We will come back next time on Sunday the 18th, and we will go back and look at these issues again and pick up there and move on to the next thing. Um, I know a lot of these things that we're talking about here are reminders of things you might have learned before, but what I'm trying to do in the process of all this is bring it all together and show you how they all interconnect with one another. Right? I mean, we know when we, for example, if we uh, walk by, if we allow ourselves to indulge the flesh, we cannot please God. Well, not only that, we also damage our own souls, right? It's waging war against our own souls and so on and so forth. And I want you to kind of see the interconnection between all these different verses and how there's such an importance on how we need to walk. And first, it really, all out of this hinges on Galatians 5.16, the idea of walking by means of the Spirit, because we're going to, all those fruit, the fruit of the Spirit list that we have, all those things that are mentioned as the fruit of the Spirit, that comes about when we walk by means of the Spirit. And that's what we want to, that's the kind of life we should want to live. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to look at these principles tonight. I pray that we begin to connect some dots in our thinking and begin to see the, the overwhelming, really, message in your word that warns us as believers of the dangers of allowing ourselves to succumb to the lusts of the flesh. But yet we've seen in our own study all the provisions that you made for us to be able to walk the way that you want us to. It's not like there's just one thing. We have so many things given to us. The ability that we have to walk in fellowship with you, in constant fellowship with you, is unbelievable. We have so many provisions, and yet we still take our eyes off of Jesus. We still lose our dependency upon God the Holy Spirit. We still find ourselves giving in to the lust of the flesh and stumbling into sin. Father, we ask that as time goes on, more and more and more, we take advantage of what you've given us, take advantage of the beautiful provisions that you've made, the promises that you've given, the guarantees from Second Peter and from Galatians chapter 5 that if we do what we're supposed to do, we will not give in to the lust of the flesh. So help us to follow the life that you've given us to, to live, take advantage of the provisions, and to live our lives in a way that pleases you and brings glory and honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and holy name. Amen.